All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am with a very special guest today. We have Amanda Webster on the show. Um, Amanda has a really interesting story to share. Um, in 2018, she stood on the ledge of a Canadian hotel room ready to end her life. Um, a song was playing at the right place at the right time that brought her down, and she made a pact with herself. She was going to give it all. She was going to give it her all for one year, and if she felt the same desolation after that, she would give herself permission to jump. The only problem was that she had no idea where to start. Um, if she'd seen the counselors, taken the medications, journaled, and read as many self-help books as her brain could handle. Having majored as a mind-body wellness practitioner at the award-winning Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in 2011 with a specialty in holistic nutrition, she finally concluded that it was time to get back to basics. It wasn't eating a salad or taking a yoga class or reading a book. It was reconstructing my lifestyle and way of thinking as a whole. Amanda, welcome to the show. So much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, just as far as, you know, with, with your journey of having, you know, overcome so much stuff, you know, kind of, uh, you know, if you wouldn't, if, you know, if it's cool talking about it, you know, how did, how did you sort of get into that, that dark place? And then what sort of helped kind of get you out of it? Well, interestingly enough, the thing that really triggered the downfall to ending up on that ledge was the suicide of Chester Bennington in 2017, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, because that was my, my really my only healthy coping mechanism since my, my teen years. And I feel like it almost kept me from really processing grief because somewhere between that and the drugs and the self-harm and stuff, I never really truly processed losing my parents, being sexually assaulted. I never dealt with these situations. I either listened to the music to try to find connection or I, I tried to numb myself out through drugs and other avenues. And I never really dealt with these things. So when the person that I looked to for strength took his life, everything just kind of started spiraling out of control for me. And I know that sounds very strange, you know, that a, that a celebrity death really spiraled things out of control, but it was a long time coming. Like there was a long history of depression and self-harm and drugs and that just happened to be the catalyst that put everything in motion to um to wind up on that ledge because I felt like I had no security blanket anymore I felt like I had no nowhere to turn I'd lost both my parents I was a million miles away from my closest friends uh, so I really just didn't know where to turn like you said I, I tried the professionals and that didn't work out uh I I'd definitely at the time felt gave it gave it my best effort to to find solace to to find um, some kind of treatment for the mental ailments but nothing really worked and i i did end up uh in june of of 2017 getting uh clean from from self-harm and cocaine but that actually almost made it worse because then it's like, okay, well now this thing that I was using to cope and to deal with the intensity of all these emotions wasn't there. So somewhere between June and October, things just spiraled completely out of control um, in the sense that, okay, great, now I'm off the drugs, but the reason that they were there, the reason I was using in the first place hadn't been dealt with. So 
just with life situations as they were. I had a, several very intense things happening at that time and no way to cope with them. And I wound up on the ledge. Right. So what was for you, what was the, what was the first steps of kind of, um, you know, kind of getting, getting onto this path of, of recovery? Well, it was interesting because like I said, at first I didn't really know what to do. It was just, I had this burning, like, I'm going to be happy. Like you don't understand. I'm, I'm going to finally be happy, not just surviving. And that had never been something that was really seen as a goal for someone like me because I had, I had had uh, these mental health issues for so long. And I remember going to my, to my mental health professional after I got back from Canada where, where uh, the hotel ledge was. And I told her, I'm going to be happy. Like, I'm, I, I'm tired of just trying to avoid killing myself. Like, I'm tired of just trying to avoid self-harm. I want to be happy. And she straight out told me, well, that's not really a possibility for someone like, like you that, that struggles with, you know, these mental health disorders. And that was my breaking point where I really knew that I was going to, to get better one way or another. Like, at this point, yes, I had this life or death situation. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if it doesn't work out, like if I try and I fail, then I, I can just, I can jump. I can end up uh, ending in the end. But this was like, now I have this bitter, like resentful, I need to prove them all wrong thing going on. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I kind of made a list of the things that I knew would make the most uh, difference because medication never worked for me. So that wasn't really an option. So I started kind of making a list of the things that would make the biggest difference as far as nutrition, because like you said, I, I majored as a, as a mind body wellness coach with a specialty in holistic nutrition, but I'd never really made the connection. Somehow I had this cognitive dissonance going on that I said, okay, well, if I'm eating this gluten-free vegan organic cupcake, then that must be healthy. Right. So I'd had, I'd had that narrative sold to me. Uh, so that was, that was actually my first step was cleaning up my, my nutrition regime because I realized that you know, not giving my, my body the, the nutrients and the, the essential vitamins and minerals and stuff that it needed wasn't going to help me mentally. And that was going to make a big uh, difference in the way that I treated my mental health issues. So that was my first step was really kind of constructing a plan for that of what I needed to remove, what I needed to add and uh, starting to get active, just flooding my body and my brain with with all those feel-good uh, chemicals the endorphins and the, the serotonin and stuff and and trying to manage the cortisol because my my adrenals were shot like my adrenals were so shot from stress and cocaine and uh just really starting to build up those stores of, of the the endorphins and the the serotonin and oxytocin and stuff again those were my first two really big steps and then after that, it was a, a matter of making lifestyle adjustments, you know, based on emotional needs, based on what's going to actually make me happy, what's actually going to make my life worthwhile. Right. Absolutely. You know, one thing that, that just came to mind that, you know, I've got to ask you, because, you know, I may have mentioned to you, uh, you know, that I, I work at an addiction medicine facility and you mentioned, you know, the, with the cocaine you know, do you feel, do you have a, an opinion one way or the other as far as, you know, what I often see, you know, we, we 
see so much, you know, co uh, comorbidity of, you know, both psychiatric, you know, disorders along with substance abuse. And it's always seems to be like, you know, chicken or the egg. Like, do you, yeah. do you feel like one for you, like caught, did, did the cocaine use, you know, trigger more of the mental health issues? Or do you feel like you were using the cocaine because you were so depressed and, you know, trying to sort of self-medicate? Well, it's really a catch-22 because I think in the beginning, yeah, I was trying to self-medicate the grief and the the pain, the emotional like trauma that I'd already had, that I already felt. But then, you know, once you start getting into it, you realize it's not helping. You're more depressed. Like it's it doesn't fix depression. That's what we we turn to these things because we're looking for something to fix the pain, really. And then the pain gets worse. And this is a really popular thing that I see. Uh, not only in myself that I saw myself, but with clients as well, that you start drinking or you start using to cope with pain. Then you realize over time the pains become worse, but then you're too far in to just walk away because at this point you've developed, you know, an addiction to these substances in many cases. So it's, it's really impossible to say which one comes first, but uh, I, I do know that there, there are noticeable patterns, you know, that precede the, the addiction. Like there, there are usual normal patterns of depression that will precede the addiction and kind of trigger that desire to, to try these, uh, these, these substances. But it, it's really hard to say which one came first. I think one exacerbates the other. So in many cases, you know, somebody could just just have tried a, a, a drug as a party drug or something. They tried cocaine or ecstasy at a party and that ended up becoming an addiction that led to their depression. But I think more, more often than not, it's the other way around, just from my experience, what I've seen, you know, with my clients and with myself. Right. No, I mean, that goes along with what, you know, my experience just in the work that I do. Um, and well, well said, you know, um, I, I wanted to, you know, kind of ask you, uh, you know, as far as, so you, you went to, to school um, to learn this, uh, this mind-body wellness, right, at uh, Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. Tell me about just kind of finding out about that place and what, what that was like, what, some of the stuff that you learned. Well, I found it when I was pregnant. I mean, really pregnant with my son. I think I was like eight months pregnant when I found it. And I was at that place in my life where I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I know, I knew that I wanted to help people. And it sounded like a really awesome thing because I thought, okay, well, I can learn more on how to improve my own life while being able to help other people. And I really had no education as far as nutrition went, as far as what to eat and what not to eat. I grew up, my first job at 14 was at McDonald's. Uh, my mom was a nurse and a general manager at McDonald's at one point, which is a hysterical accommodation when you stop to think about it. But I don't think I ever ate a vegetable growing up. I can't look back and think, man, I really hated broccoli or peas or whatever growing up because I don't freaking remember ever eating them. I remember eating Lunchables and pork chops and KFC and McDonald's and fast food and we go to buffets and I, you know, I, I don't remember ever eating healthy and I, I was really drawn to what can I, what can I learn? Maybe I can, I can learn something. And the devastating thing was, is my dad died of, of technically pneumonia, but he had numerous 
uh, terminal illnesses that as I went through school, I realized were largely caused by his eating habits and by his lifestyle. And having to hear, you know, this, that, that this could have been totally preventable, that my daddy could have still been with me to see his first grandchild be born, that just destroyed me. And that was where I started really realizing if I can save one person from having to lose somebody like that, that it's, it's worth it to me. But it, it took me a long time because like I said, I did learn a lot about nutrition at the time, but there's that cognitive dissonance there that, I, that they're telling you, okay, we'll eat organic, eat more vegetables, eat this, eat that. And I did try to incorporate some vegetables and stuff, but for the most part, I cherry picked what I wanted to hear you know, from my, from my education and said, okay, well, I'm, I'm vegetarian, so that's good. I, I've been vegetarian since 2005. It's so like, I'm vegetarian, that's good. So I need to eat more organic. So I'm going to eat this organic cupcake. And, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I didn't really, I feel like deep inside I made the connection. But like I said, there's that cognitive dissonance and I just didn't want to come to terms with the fact that I could possibly be doing this to myself. Like what, what, who wants to admit that most of the problems they have, they've done to themselves. Like you don't want to come to terms and face the fact that did I create my own depression? I mean, that's, that's subjective. Mm. I, I feel like there are probably much better ways I could have handled the trauma in my life or the things that happened to me that would have, have made the symptoms of the depression much, um, much easier to cope with. And nowadays, I get asked a lot if I healed myself of depression. And I guess that kind of depends on a person's definition of, of healing, like what that means to any specific person. Because, I mean, I do still have the symptoms of anxiety sometimes, but it's, it's much less. It's much easier to cope with. And when I was screened... Uh, for anxiety and depression by a mental health professional in November of 2018. So this was right after um, the whole the whole Canadian hotel room ledge thing. I, I was scored a 16 for anxiety and a 20 for depression. And last month they did the screening again and, and did a, an analysis. And I was a two for anxiety and a three for depression. So wow. while yes, I still have, you know, some lingering symptoms of anxiety sometimes, and maybe I always will, I don't know. But the lady, literally, this was the first time I talked to the specific person because I had to get the, the screening by a different person who had treated me in the past. And she literally said, why on earth did you ever have the diagnosis of, diagnosis of an SMI, of having a serious mm -hmm. mental illness, you have no symptoms of it at all. And I guess that was my point where I kind of felt like I won, quote unquote, like I felt like I beat it at that point. Uh, but going through school was really awesome because it gave me tools, even if I didn't know how to use them at the time, it started planting those seeds and it started giving me those tools on what I needed to eliminate, what I needed to add. So then when I was ready, uh, after this whole situation, when I was ready and I started, you know, reviewing some of my stuff and I started really sitting down with myself and saying, I knew this all along, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> And I started making those changes. I, I did notice huge, huge differences in my mental health, in the way that I coped with stress, in the way that I coped with uh, situations as they arose, in the way that I started really processing the trauma that I'd been through. It made an enormous, enormous difference. 
Interesting. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like one of the, one of the things that, that irritates me the most about, I mean, I guess just a misperception, I think of, of mental health or, or mental disorders, uh, psychiatric disorders is that, you know, it's, it's like a black or white thing. Like you, you either are depressed or you're not. And if you are depressed or have been diagnosed with depression, that is you. And, you know, therefore you can never not be depressed, right? Like there, there seem to be a lot of people, at least that I work with, you know, who, who kind of fall, you know, victim to that sort of mentality. And I think it's sort of like, you're placing the power. You're, you're sort of not maybe so, sort of along the lines of what you were saying, as far as not really like taking responsibility for it, not saying it is your, you know, that person's fault, you know, that they're dealing with a certain thing, but, but at the same time that, you know, there's at least a big component that is in their control, you know, if they, they choose to uh, view it that way. I actually make it a huge point now when I do have hard days that I don't say, and I never tell anyone I have depression or I have anxiety. I will say I'm having symptoms of anxiety mm. day. I'm having symptoms of depression today because even if I do have some kind of disorder, that is not who I am and I can manage that. And I've learned that I can manage and reduce those symptoms on my own, like without medication or anything. And I, I know that medication helps a lot of people and I'm not anti-medication. It just didn't work for me. And I'm very, I'm a very big proponent on, can we try the other stuff first and then, you know, move to that if that's necessary. I think medication should kind of be a last resort, you know, for if the supplements didn't work, if the changing your lifestyle and your diet didn't work. But most cases of uh, mild to moderate depression can be treated with lifestyle changes alone. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you. But where are the pharmaceutical companies going to make money in that, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's in a lot of the work that I do with, I mean, like the different kind of neurotech stuff, it's like you know, people, people kind of criticize, you know, some of the stuff sometimes because it's like, there's not these double blind peer reviewed studies or as many as, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, but it's like, you know, where's necessarily the money in, in something that could actually get to the underlying root of, of the issue instead of, you know, just kind of the way I view it, it's sort of masking the symptoms, right? You know, yeah. as far as what a lot of medications do. And for medic for with me for medications, I've been guinea pigged. I swear I probably had 17 at least different medications over the years. Every time a new one hit the market, they were trying to shove me on it. And the side effects were horrible. Like I thought I was dying. I would just lay on the floor and I, I my, my heart would race and I just scream and cry and hallucinate and think that I was dying. And when I told my mental health professional, this isn't working for me, they'd say, well, you just need to give it a couple of weeks. Are you freaking kidding me? Like I'm laying on the floor screaming because I think I'm dying. And you're saying, well, you just need to experience that constantly for two weeks. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not an option. But I do take, um, I do take supplements for uh, anxiety and depression. I do take some herbal supplements that were really super uh, effective for me, way more effective than any than any antidepressant or antipsychotic I ever took. Like uh, Kava Kava is a big one for me. Mm. And it actually has, it's very similar. They've, they've done studies on it and it has similar um, anxiety relieving and muscle relaxing effects as uh, Xanax. So they found that it actually has the same 
properties. It affects, um, it affects the brain in the same ways as Xanax. But they don't want to talk about that because, again, there's no real, there's no real opportunity for profit in that. Or uh, 5-HTP is, is a compound that's produced in the body from the amino acid tryptophan. So that will, will help a lot because it's a precursor to serotonin and melatonin. So it helps with not only the mood, but it helps with sleep. And I can't take melatonin supplements. They actually make me hallucinate too. But if I, if I take the things with the precursors to melatonin, it seems to help a lot more than just like adjusting um, certain lifestyle things to make sure that I'm getting sleep. That was another big, huge thing for me when I was uh, going through the healing journey was make sure, making sure that I was getting sleep because if I don't get sleep, I'm crazy. <laughs> like, I, I'm not a person you want to be around at all. And I think that's the time when, when emotions really start running high is if I, for some reason, don't get sleep. But yeah, like uh, th there's something to be said for not just diet, but, but supplements in general, if you have to supplement. I mean, uh, I, was, I was talking about tryptophan, like amino acids and stuff. Supplements containing amino acids or foods high in amino acids have been found to reduce uh, symptoms of depression because they're converted into neurotransmitters, which in turn like alleviate depression, anxiety, other mental health issues. But uh, that, so that's something I always definitely promote to people who are struggling with anxiety. My clients that struggle with anxiety and depression, I'm saying, are you getting your amino acids? Are you getting your omega-3 fatty acids? Are you balancing your, your vitamins and minerals? Because there's a lot of deficiencies but if you're deficient in certain things, if you're deficient in, in certain vitamins and minerals, that will affect your mental health. So while yes, you might be more predisposed to having mental health issues because of some kind of, of genetic thing, I, mean, my, I, I definitely do have the genetics that predisposition me to um, mental health issues. I like to say that genetics will load the gun, but it's our decisions that are going to pull the trigger. So while yes, I do have this genetic predisposition, I can still make choices that are going to give me the optimal chance to reduce these symptoms and reduce these issues. Right, absolutely. So I wanna switch gears a little bit um, and ask you, you know, as far as I saw in your bio, uh, you know, working with uh, this, uh, it's the Trevor Project, is that correct? The, the uh, suicide prevention, you were the, you've been volunteering or you did volunteer as the suicide prevention operator? I did volunteer for, uh, as a suicide prevention operator for quite some time. And yeah, I, tell I me mean, what that was like. It was, it was really, uh, it became very overwhelming after a while just because I have a messiah complex. So of course I wanna save every person. And there were situations where sometimes, you know, I didn't know what to do or I'd worry, you know, if that person, once they got off the phone, really found what I had to say or what I had to offer useful. And, you know, I was, I was a little less conventional than most people, but I, I, I did really sit and talk to them and share my story and, and really got deep with these people. And having been someone that, that has utilized, um, crisis lines myself, I feel that there's a lot that can be done to improve. And I found that, you know, with when I was when I was volunteering there as well, that there's a lot that can be done to improve these, these crisis lines, because they're seen as a safety net for, you know, a mental health crisis, when somebody's absolutely has nothing else 
this is where they turn. But there have been situations where literally the person would just be like, well, you need to go outside and go maybe get a manicure or something. This person's literally steps from suicide. They don't need a freaking manicure. They need someone to really talk to them and, and help them, you know, get on a better path, help them get out of that darkness and get on a better path. And that was my real overall goal with these people. The problem when you're feeling suicidal and this, is my experience and kind of the experience I saw not only there, but with other clients I've had is that you feel invisible. You feel like you don't matter. You feel that you're a burden to everyone. And I will tell you when I was on that ledge, people can say that suicide is a selfish decision, but the last thought I would have had on my mind had I jumped was I'm doing this for my son because he doesn't deserve to have a fuck up like me as a mom. That was the last thought I had in my mind as I was about to jump off a ledge. Not, you know, poor me, poor me. I mean, I did think, I hope this doesn't hurt because I don't want to hurt anymore. But the last thing I kept thinking was I'm doing this for him, I'm doing this for him. But with the people on the, on the crisis line, it's tricky, you know, because everybody is different. And, and sometimes the best thing you can do is just offer your own, like personal experience with, hey, I, I, I've been there and, you know, I, I, I found my way out and let's, let's see how we can help you out of this. Like, let's try to, to figure out how we can get you out of this darkness. So the, the real important thing is figuring out where they are, what the major problem is, and then helping them figure out how to get out of that. But it is, it's very challenging and it, it takes a toll emotionally real fast. You know, when you realize unfortunately you can't save them all and that was something that that I really struggled with uh it, it started causing sleep issues at night because I was just wondering oh god that person like are they okay I wish I could check up on them you know I wish I could follow up and make sure that they were okay like you would with a friend I, if my friends have some kind of mental health crisis I'm definitely going to follow back up and say are you okay I just want to check in uh, do you need me to bring you dinner whatever the case is but in those cases you can't and that that was very hard for me to know that I, I had to just do the best I could and let it go. Right. Right. And that was actually going to be my, I was going to ask you the next question, you know, kind of about what, what sort of, uh, you know, skills or, you know, what enables someone to be successful? You know, I know you kind of uh, touched on it a little bit already as far as sort of being able to relate to kind of meeting where meeting those people kind of where they're at. Um, what, what, what else did you learn kind of with that experience as far as what, what do you feel like helped kind of give, uh, you know, give you the best opportunity to help them? Really just listening to them. Cause I feel that people that are that low down are that low down because nobody understands how they feel. Nobody can, has listened to them, has really taken the time to listen to them because there's this obviously there's a stigma around mental health in our society and if somebody says I'm feeling suicidal or I'm feeling depressed it's the person the other person often is like well don't feel that way <laughs> well thanks genius for that you know because I want to feel this way but they're just well why don't you go outside why don't you go see a therapist and in many cases these people have done that they've they've went outside they've called a friend they've seen therapists they've taken medication and they still winded up calling the suicide hotline. In my case, I still wound up on that ledge. 
and just really giving them a platform to speak oftentimes is is really helpful uh, to them to just let them get out what they have on their chest without judgment, without trying to fix it for them. And once they get it all out, then you can kind of start directing, you know, them in a better, on a better path. But until they get out what they need to get out, there's nothing that you can really do. I mean, you can offer your experience, you can offer whatever expertise, but it's not really going to do good until they feel heard. And that was the most important thing was making them feel heard. And I, I kind of feel like it's my mission in life to make the people that feel invisible feel seen. That's all I really want. I want to be able to help those people that were where I was, that feel invisible, that feel like nobody gives a damn about them. I want them to know that they're seen. And I remember it wasn't the Trevor Project, it was the It Gets Better Project. I posted a video actually several years ago, so it was before my, my breakdown. Uh, but I, I just posted this video for the It Gets Better Project saying, no, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things are, it gets better. And I really want to make a new one now, just explaining my story, you know, of where I was and where I am now. But I often got emails or, or phone calls or stuff from, it was usually emails or messages from people who saw my video and said, you know, I was, I was just ready to be done until I saw your video. And that humbled me to my very core. But I remember a very specific phone call where this person, you could tell, was, was done. They were, at their, they were at their ledge. And I was panicking because I'm going, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Like, this person was, I got a lot of calls when I was at the Trevor Project and when I was uh, volunteering there. I, I definitely dealt with a lot of people that, that were contemplating it, but it was very rare that you get that call and you know that person's about to pull a trigger or jump or whatever the case is. And in this case, I knew the person was there and I didn't know what to do because I didn't feel like I was making any progress. I didn't feel like they were making any progress. And I was panicking because I just wanted to save this person. I thought, what would I want in this moment? So I started singing Iridescent by, by Lincoln Park. And it brought them down because it just made them realize that someone freaking cared. And not only was I channeling, you know, my own love for the band and how they saved me, but I was thinking of the, the scene in Yes Man where the guy's up on the ledge and he's singing uh, Jumper by Third Eye Blind. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it brings the guy off the ledge, but it worked because that person realized that someone cared about them. And if the song One More Light uh, by Linkin Park would have been out, I probably would have chose that one because even if I don't know a person, and, and they, they come to me and say, you know, I'm having this, these, these problems, I, I'm done, I'm depressed, I, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I care about that person. I immediately form a bond with that person on the simple merit that they're human. And I know where they, I, I know that pain, I know that desperation. And I don't want anyone to feel like that. And I, I, I do often tell people, you know, you, you think that, that nobody cares if one more light goes out, but I do, I care. And there's more people like me out there. You just have to be willing to you know, seek them out and find them. And maybe that means a professional, maybe that means a support group on Facebook. Maybe that means a, a band, you know, for me, it was, it was Lincoln Park, whatever that is, there are people that care if your light goes out. Right. No, I mean, that's, that's a super powerful you know, mission that, you know, you're doing. And, you know, I applaud you for that. You. Absolutely. And, you know, th this might come off as sort of a, an, a weird question, but I, I'm just curious. Like weird, you, yeah, a weird question. So uh, when you, when you look back, you know, on, you know, your kind of dark 
you know, past experiences. Do you like, right, you know, now having, having kind of gotten to the other side, do you feel a sense of like gratitude or, or are you glad that even though it was horrible that you, you went through that to now be able to help people to in, in such a big way? Is that? Yes, actually. Yes. I, I, I realize now that I did go through this because I've always wanted to make an impact on the world. You know, I've always wanted to kind of leave my mark, to leave the earth a better place than I found it. And I do do a lot of humanitarian work, but it was kind of always just, I do a lot of dog rescue or I go to Haiti or I go to here and I go to there and I, I have a lot of charity projects, but I never really felt like I found my one thing. It was, well, I go where I made it and, and I do all of these different things, but I, I never found my genuine, true passion or really a way to make that my, my life's work. You know, I never really found a way to make that my life's work until the, the interesting thing is, is I really realized that this is what I wanted to do on the day that I stopped using. This was, this was before, um, before the, the incident, like the breakdown, but I realized I want to share my story and I really want to help people and I want to get better and I want to stop using drugs. And I was on a sidewalk in California where I camped out to meet Mike Shinoda, the, the other, the surviving singer of Lincoln Park. I camped out on a sidewalk for 24 freaking hours because I just wanted to say thank you to this person who I felt had given me strength over the years through his music. And I never got to say thank you to Chester uh, before he uh, tragically took his life. But I know that these experiences, you know, did lead me to a place where I can now live what I feel is my life's purpose to help other people and to inspire other people. And if I can be someone's Chester, then it's all worth it. Like all the pain I went through, everything I lost is all worth it. If I can just be someone's Chester. Well said. Yeah, I love it. Well, Amanda, thank you, you know, so much for, for coming on the show today and, you know, just telling your, your amazing story, you know, cause when I, when I started the podcast, I mean, I remember I, you know, it's still in the description, you know, where I wrote, you know, I wanted to do, you know, raw, unfiltered interviews, you know, with incredible people, you know, and I, I just, you know, applaud you for, for saying your real story and not, you know, sugar, sugarcoating anything, just really, you know, saying it how it was. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much. I feel like that's the only thing we can really do is just start being honest and real and raw about our feelings. And that's what's going to move us forward as a society in the realm of mental health, not the pharmaceuticals, not more medications. It's going to be, we need to start having conversations about this and letting people tell their stories because that's what brings healing. I hear you. So where would you, you know, if you, uh, if people want to uh, either you know, learn more about your work or, or just any, any resources that you'd like to uh, share with the listeners? Yeah, my first one is obviously my website, uh, amandawebsterhealth.com, where you can download a free PDF that has the top 10 uh, nutrient deficiencies that affect mental health. Because it's something, again, that most people don't think about. They don't think about how what they're eating or what they're lacking is affecting their, their mental health. So I have that PDF and it gives you options of where to find these different nutrients in uh, different foods. 
And of course, you can uh, you can check me out on Instagram uh, at Amanda Webster Health. And I just launched a YouTube channel that has not only different tips and stuff for uh, mental health, physical health, but I've also been interviewing a variety of celebrities from Billy Bob Thornton, the actor, to Joe Cross from Fast and Nearly Dead, to Eric Bischoff uh, of wrestling fame, WWE, WCW wrestling fame. So it's been really exciting getting to talk to different people and just opening up this conversation on mental health. Right. And that is uh, youtube.com slash Amanda Webster Health. Awesome. Great. Well, and if, uh, if you guys enjoyed the show today, um, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are Roscoe's Wetsuit. Um, you can also find the audio versions of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Uh, so go ahead and check us out any which way you want. Amanda, again, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Absolutely.